Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Abigail Weaver. Abigail is a senior at Smith College here in Northampton, Massachusetts. She's majoring in theater and Jewish studies with a particular interest in Yiddish poetry and theater. She's a playwright, costume designer, amateur translator, and musician. And for her honors thesis, she's writing a play about the paper brigade. She's also a very familiar face to all of us here at the center as she digs through our archives and our repository. So welcome, Abigail. Thank you. It's delightful to be here. It's so good to have you here in the studio. So let's just start off by saying that it seems that the play brings together both your theater and your Jewish studies major. And I know you have an interest in Yiddish. The play, which is called Grains of Wheat, really tells the story of the Paper Brigade, which was a group of Yiddish writers, poets, and intellectuals, and cultural activists. What inspired you about this, and what led you in the direction of coming up with this play? Well, the process for writing it started about a year ago, when I took a class with Professor Justin Cammy at Smith about Yiddish and Yiddish lands, and that we were lucky because we as a class, got to go to Vilna and Warsaw. And so at that point in Vilna, in the National Library of Lithuania, I was actually able to see some of the very same documents that the Paper Brigade rescued from the Nazis right there with my own eyes. And following that, I read, for the first time also as a part of this class, The Book Smugglers by David Fishman, which was such a remarkable book in that it it tells the story of the Paper Brigade and, and all of its breadth and in depth, but does it in a way that's very engaging and very theatrical and very accessible. Um, And so seeing it in those terms and also having a background with some of the history and having already an interest in in some of the very same poets who who were active in this time, like Shmerke Kajiginski and Avram Sutskever, who were in the Paper Brigade. And by this time, I'd also been studying Yiddish formally for about a year, starting at the Steiner Summer Yiddish Program. And also, you know, spending a lot of my life doing theater and seeing also recently around that time a lot of sort of new cultural production that engages with Yiddish, that uses Yiddish, and that tells Yiddish stories sort of all started swirling together to give me sort of this consciousness that I'm capable of creating Yiddish cultural production and that I can and that I should. So it, it kind of started this story, what is now this full script, as um, my final project for this class, where after reading The Book Smugglers, I kind of wrote a standalone one act that retold the story of the Paper Brigade in the ghetto period. And then I, you know, I, I left for the summer, and then I realized I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I applied to write it as a thesis, and I finished it last month. And that's sort of where it is today. And so it's, it's been kind of a year in the making, almost exactly because we, we have our first rehearsal for the read-through tomorrow. And it's been a year in some ways, but also because I really could only write it once I had access to the information that, that, other, that other people have created and made accessible. And so it's sort of, I can say it's a year, but somehow that feels too short for everything that led me to it and, and all of the other people who were doing such important work that brought it to me. So it's been a long time coming, I guess. So if if I could ask you, for our listeners who maybe are not as familiar with the story of the Paper Brigade, can you just give it a little, just a, a hint, a teaser about what it's like? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about how you've taken that story and fictionalized it, but based on this real story. Absolutely. So in, in the 1920s, YIVO was founded, the Yiddish Scientific Institute in Vilna, Lithuania, 
which was an archive of Yiddish culture, essentially, and really special in that I think a lot of archives do this now where they see themselves as, as engaging the population in providing materials and, and doing sort of autoethnographies, but they were really pioneering that in Jewish studies. And they were this stateless, a state university for stateless peoples is I think what they were called. Um, and so by the time that the Nazis occupied Vilna, they had amassed a huge, huge amount of cultural artifacts, books, manuscripts, letters, art, all, like this just wealth of documents that was really sort of a, the full breadth of, of Yiddish life in Eastern Europe and, and around the world even. And the action of the paper brigade begins when they were conscripted into the work of, of essentially looting the archive, unfortunately, because what happened was the while YIVO was doing their work, Nazis were also developing their own sort of ideas about what Jewish studies was, which was translated in English, Jewish studies without the Jews. So they, when they occupied Vilna, became very interested in acquiring a lot of those documents that were in YIVO archive and moving them to Germany to essentially be propaganda in these propaganda museums and, and archives they were constructing that were supposed to tell the story of the Jews and what the Jews were, but were actually just totally fake propaganda. And unfortunately for them, they didn't have enough Aryan German archivists and, and scholars who were literate in Jewish languages who could really, you know, get through and contextualize all of the material in the YIVO archive. So they found themselves needing to conscript not only Yiddish speakers, but Yiddish poets and writers and intellectuals and cultural activists and people who were involved in YIVO in the past and people who were really committed to those documents to do that work of looting for them. And that was their downfall because these are the very same people who would be the most committed to making sure that the, these materials will stay out of their hands. So the paper brigade, including Shmerke Kajerginski, who is a, a songwriter and a cultural activist, Avram Sutzkever, a poet, uh, Herman Krok, who is this diarist and a Bundist activist, and many others, Eli Kalmanovich, who is a former founder and co-director of Vivo, they did the work of smuggling hundreds of thousands of these documents into the Vilna ghetto to hide them. So this inspired this, we call it a work of fiction, a play that is fictitious, but it is based and draws from a real story. And characters have similar names, but you may have taken some liberties. Obviously, the story inspired you. And how hard it was it to approach it and write it and put it into a context or, again, be, I don't want to use the word reverential, but you do have to be mindful and respectful of the story, yes? Absolutely. Going into this and, and throughout the writing process, one of my huge struggles and huge anxieties was how can I, how can I come from my own context where I have never, thank God, had to struggle in the way that, that any of these people have. How can I come from my context and tell their story? And the first thing I did was try to be as historically accurate as possible given the restraints of you know two hours on a stage. What can I really say? All of the named characters are real people, but the named characters that will be on stage are, of course, not the real people, which is a strange tension and a strange thing in, in, I guess, any sort of historical fiction, that these are mediated by actors who are then mediated by the script that I wrote, which is mediated by the materials that I had access to in my short timeline. But I did try to make it so that everyone who is on stage and is named is real, and uh, many of the events that I put on stage really happened. 
and the things that I added to make it clear. So knowing that I was trying to do it in historically accurate way as possible, I also felt that I had to make it clear that it was a work of fiction, and that's why I added some anti-realist elements, some expressionist elements. I added some ghosts and some angels and some sort of fantastical elements. Uh, on the one hand, to remind the audience and remind myself that this is a mediation, this is a work of fiction, and also because I think things are more interesting when they have ghosts and angels in them. It's your first foray into playwriting, correct? This is the first full-length play that I've written. This is the longest play that I've written. It's I've been trying to edit it down, but it keeps hovering around 99 pages. So it, it's been a pretty long haul. So did you set out to write a full-length play as part of your, well, I guess it's your, thesis, your senior thesis, or did you come upon this story and decide that there was this convergence between the desire to do something theatrical and your interest in Jewish studies, specifically Yiddish, in the first creation of this play, it was a standalone one act that it was about the period that the paper brigade was smuggling away from the Nazis. It's expanded into a second act that takes place after the liberation of Vilna during the Soviet period. I kind of added a lot more content and a lot more years onto the story. I guess what I'm, I'm curious about is sort of the old um, the horse and the cart. Which came first? Um, it's interesting to me that you sort of have these two parallel tracks. You're studying theater. Mm -hmm. You're a Jewish studies major as well. So there's that duality. And I'm wondering how you came to the decision to create this play. And was it the story that inspired you? Was it your desire to find something that you could do, um, you know, write a play about? A, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, it's like I said, I've, the, the past few years, I've been developing more and more of a consciousness that I can create Yiddish culture production. And I think that's largely due to people I see around me making Yiddish stories on stage and doing Yiddish stories on stage. I think a huge influence for me was I was really lucky and I got to see Indecent on Broadway, which I think was very formative. And I think I never would have attempted this if I hadn't seen that because seeing the success that that had gave me this realization that I didn't even know that I couldn't believe before I saw it, which is that people from all different backgrounds can care about a Yiddish story and are interested in a Yiddish story. And there's something that a Yiddish story has to offer a really broad audience. And I think that, especially with the story of, of the Paper Brigade, now is the most amazing, exciting time to be doing that because there's so much cultural production occurring now so that sort of engages with and, and revisits this particular time and place. I'm also thinking about the the play Vilna that is about to go up in New York. I'm thinking about, of course, the, the book Smugglers by David Fishman and a lot of other scholarship about Vilna, like this new book on the Strachan Library, new book about the Vilna troupe, and also the documentary that I was able to see here, Who Will Write Our History, based on the book by Sam Cassow, that is sort of similar in terms of it revisits and sort of deconstructs narratives about the Holocaust by re-engaging with what were the words of the Jewish people who experienced it, which is, I think, that there's a new or new-to-me sort of chapter that I see in, in cultural production around the Holocaust where I think people are engaging more with the, the words and the experiences that are of that time, of people who are experiencing it, and not so much dealing with the mediation of it as an object in itself. 
if that makes sense. It does. And I mean, I think, um, obviously, this is audio so that you can't see that there's a definite generational divide between the two of us. And I think it's amazing that you're able to access the culture that came before the Holocaust that was, you know, it had cultural production and it was in the Yiddish language, something that's becoming more and more apparent to me as part of my job here. And the fact that you are sort of reimagining it and and accessing it, contextualizing it, doing interesting things with it is really, really exciting. And your enthusiasm is rather apparent, too, to those of us who see you here. Um, So it does all make sense. And it's just interesting to see how you tap into it and what aspects of the culture speak to you in ways and how you want to kind of explore them and reimagine them. Thank you. Well, when I was researching for the play, I came across a a passage in Green Aquarium, which is this piece by Avram Sutzkever, where he describes an encounter with an angel and this angel tells him that if he continues to write poetry, he will be saved. So in the play, I literalize that. I always assume that fantastical things really happened because I think, again, that it's more interesting if they really did. But I think that that part of that that image and, and what that evokes is so exciting because the words that these people were creating in their own lifetimes making sense of these things as they experienced them, allow them to be sort of born outside of their time and allow them to speak to us and to speak to everyone who came before us and everyone who came after. And that's something, there's this this image of a paper chain that that I keep coming back to, that all of these these books that they saved are a part of this paper chain. And, and I don't mean to sound super jumpsuous when I say that. I hope that what I've created is a part of that too and, and that really relies on having access to what's come before. And the reason why we get to have access is because of these actions that were undertaken by by the paper brigade and, and people like the paper brigade and people whose names aren't even known to us, but who did incredible cultural work under incredible duress and decided that what they can give to the future is so important that it's worth even putting your lives at risk. In times like theirs, when it, it must have been hard even to think to tomorrow, in times of incredible duress, that they chose to give something to the future. And I think I think a lot in, in terms of what this can give to us in our context is, is this story. And I, and I don't mean to say that stories are only worth something if they can speak to the present, because I don't believe that. And I think that's nonsense. I think it's, it's worth something in its own right. But I think among my generation, when there's this growing sense of anti-futurity or this idea that things are going to get really bad soon with with global warming and what have you, that I think what I've been able to learn is that thinking that you have nothing to offer the future is the most incredible hubris. And thinking that that you're the last generation and there's there's nothing more that will come after you is is just the most self-indulgent thing. Because everything we have now we have because there are people who are in such hard times who didn't have any assurance that there would be a future beyond them who made a decision to act for the future. It's hard to follow up with that with a question, but I'll ask you one last question, which is what led you to Yiddish? Well, my father began learning Yiddish before I was born, but sometimes 
sing me Yiddish lullabies or, or use it a little bit around the house. So I never grew up knowing it, but I grew up with an early consciousness of it and a curiosity about it. Um, and then didn't start studying it formally until I, I got to Smith and I began studying Yiddish literature. But sort of having had that those early memories of, of Yiddish lullabies and and having it around the home and it kind of grew to a, a more academic and uh, more artistic interest. And now I, I feel excited for what I can use it for. Well, it's really exciting to see what you're doing with it. And for our listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about where they can find information about the performance and purchase tickets? The performance will be, well, the performance of the staged mm-hmm. reading uh, will be on March 28th at 7.30 p.m. in Mendenhall Performing Arts Center at Smith College. It's free and open to the public, so just show up. Great. Um, Abby, thank you so much. I may call you Abby, yes? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today, for sharing your thoughts, and for your enthusiasm and diligence in, in pursuing what it is you're pursuing and bringing it to the stage. Thank you. It's been great talking All to right. you. Great to see you, and we hope to see you again soon. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Sylvia Peterson, Education Program Manager at the Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to Episode 69, Aaron Lansky's 2013 conversation with Mark Cohen, biographer of the late, great comedian Alan Sherman. Until next time, be well, be healthy, Zygesund.